Hello, this is Pastor Luke, and you are listening to the Living Hope Church Podcast. We hope you enjoy this week's sermon. Our mission is to grow disciples and multiply churches who will glorify God and transform communities. For more information about our church, please visit our website at livinghopehenderson.com. Rick, if you want to come on up, I just want to introduce Rick to you briefly. My first memory of interacting with Rick, and I don't know, maybe there was something before this, but I don't recall it. My first memory of interacting with Rick was that I cold called him. We had never met before. He was out shopping for something. And I said, Rick, my name's Luke Heidley, and I live in Abbotsford, British Columbia, and just exploring some options. And are there any churches in the Central District that might be looking for a pastor? And he said, well, there's this one in Henderson, Nebraska. If you email me your resume, I can forward it on to them. And I said, that sounds reasonable. Let's let's do that. And that was the beginning of our friendship and, and our interaction. And it's been a delight just to get to know Rick over the years. Rick serves as the district minister for our district. As Mennonite Brethren, where we're located, we are part of the Central District. And there's a and he'll probably unpack all this and say it better than I will, but uh, we're part of the Central District, and so that's the Mennonite Brethren churches in North Dakota and South Dakota and Montana and like landmass wise it's huge. I think it's the largest district. And and my understanding, because you would look at the map and you go, well, aren't we kind of the northern part? Like, why are we the, in the? Why aren't we the northern district? Why? Are, well, so back at one point in time, our the U.S. and the Canadian conferences were combined. In which case, yes, we would be the central district because you know Canada's the northern district. But then we split into two conferences, but we never updated our name. So landmass, we're in the northern region, but we kept the name central district because. I don't know. It was just a comfortable name. So um, he is our, our district minister for that, and so he helps serve a variety of different churches. And just to get to know Rick and Esther, um, not only through uh, the, our central district meetings, but also he is at all of the, the national meetings now that I go to with, with the USMB board and get to know Rick through that. I've just really appreciated his heart and, and his wisdom and, uh, and his insight, so it's just been a, a delight to get to know Rick more. So... I'm going to pray for Rick, and then he has the rest of the morning. So, And I told him he has 30 minutes, give or take 20 minutes. So we'll see how this goes. Heavenly Father, uh, I pray for Rick this morning as he shares with us this morning, Lord. I pray that uh, your Holy Spirit would be speaking through him to us, Lord. I pray that as listeners, your Holy Spirit would prime us and prepare us for what he has to share, Lord, and just that every word would be anointed and from you, Lord. And so... Thank you for the safe travels that they have had coming here. We pray for Rick and Esther as their role requires so much road time and so much travel, God. But we are so blessed to have them and their their influence uh, and their friendship in this endeavor. So thank you, Lord. In your name, amen. Yes, I do remember that phone call. I was actually in Walmart, I think, and uh, I was trying to decide who this guy was and whether he would be worthy of you. So we can talk after the service. Uh, <laughs> no, not at all. Not at all. So this morning we're going to be talking about light in the darkness. How many of you have been really, really in the dark to the place where you can't even see your hand in front of your face? 
Have you ever been in a situation like that? And how disorienting it is? I know that in my early days, I was uh, staying in a home. They put us up in a basement down in the in their house and there was an inside bedroom it had no windows and it it was pitch black in the middle of the night and we don't always do all-nighters and so there was a moment when I had determined I should get up and I needed to find the restroom and it was pitch black and I was disoriented I couldn't remember where I was was I in a hotel room was I back home uh, we travel quite a bit. Uh, we're usually gone. We've got 40 churches that we oversee, so uh, we're usually in a different church, a different location quite a bit. And so I remember thinking, in the future, as a host, if you host somebody, would you please, please, invest in a $1.99 little nightlight for the bathroom? Because when you don't have the light, you kind of get into a little bit of a panic, don't you? And, you know, when we talk about darkness and we talk about light, it's not always just that physical darkness as well. Uh, Luke was talking about our daughter, Tanya, and, you know, it was actually two years ago. Uh, she passed away on November the 25th. It was the Saturday right after Thanksgiving. We were down in Hutchinson, Kansas. Uh, my mom lives there. We had finally gathered all of our kids. We had four. Uh, we got some in Alaska. We got one in in Washington State, one in Iowa, and Tanya was actually living in Nebraska. And we had gathered, and it was kind of a somber occasion for us because 2018 wasn't real good for us. Our uh, son-in-law had uh, passed away suddenly. She went home from work, and he had had a sudden heart attack, and she went home and found that he had passed away. And that was in July, and so here we were in November, and we were gathering together and Esther desperately wanted a family picture and you guys know how that goes what mama wants she gets and so we got a family picture and then Tanya had to get back to work and so she left us we had Thanksgiving we had the picture and then Saturday morning happened and we got word that she had uh, slid off of the road in a in a blizzard and she had perished and so 2018 wasn't real good for us in fact, we were coming up here. We were going to be here for, for the Sunday following Thanksgiving two years ago. And that's a different kind of darkness, isn't it? So we look forward to 2019. But 2019, we ended up having three car accidents. And I think there were five surgeries between the two of us. Uh, probably the worst of it was on December 19th, we... Uh, had a rollover accident. We were doing about uh, 70, 80 mile an hour, and that was the speed limit on I-29 in North Dakota. Uh, we just crossed over from North Dakota into South Dakota in the Sisseton Hills. It's been a beautiful day. Uh, there wasn't any snow. There wasn't any precipitation coming down. It had been in the 40s. We were up in Harvey, North Dakota, doing a funeral for a dear lady, and we were coming back home on a Saturday, and uh, we hit a patch of black ice. And we rolled our Jeep Liberty three times, doing 70-some miles an hour. And we walked away. But the roof of our Jeep was bent down, and it actually touched the headrest where Esther was, seat was seated. And I remember looking over, and of course, everything's silent and quiet. I guess maybe the radio was playing. I don't remember. But 
you know, we were covered, with, you know, we landed in the ditch where there was snow and the sunroof had popped out. And I don't know. It, but the airbags hadn't deployed because we rolled sideways, I guess. And we were told that had they deployed, the headrest, the, the, the uh, airbag in the front there would have pushed Esther back into that headrest and she might not have been with me. And I thought, how would I have lived knowing that I was the driver and this had taken place? Well, she had concussion syndrome headaches, migraines that, that were a result of that accident. I mean, uh, we were pretty bruised up and she got the worst of it. And we were looking forward to some treatments where they would actually go in and do some ablation uh, in, her, in her neck to kind of take care of the migraines. But COVID hit, and all of a sudden, all of these non-life-threatening surgeries were rescheduled. And she went seven months experiencing migraines for four or five days a week. Yeah. So we weren't real excited about 2019 either. And, you know, we were thinking that we were looking forward to 2020. And I was remembering we were having our Thanksgiving dinner, and I came across a can of black-eyed peas. Now, do you guys know this, that on New Year's Day, you're supposed to eat black-eyed peas if you want to have good luck for the coming year? And I realized that we hadn't eaten our black-eyed peas for 2019, and they were still in the cupboard. So 2020 is our fault. We, we did that. It was on us. But that's a different kind of darkness, isn't it? And as we look forward to 2021, and we will have our black-eyed peas, we're looking for understanding. We're trying to figure out how life pulls itself together. And Advent is one of those times that it gives us hope. It tells us that God is in control, that, that we needed to prepare ourselves for what God has been doing and what God will continue to be doing. And we need that information collectively as, as a church, but we also need it individually for ourselves as we try to figure out what's going on in our world. We need that light that gives us understanding, that gives us hope, that gives us courage to wake up the next morning. And I thought about it, and I thought, you know, if I could be anybody in history, I would have loved to have been the Apostle John. We're going to look at John today as, as, as looking into this. But, you know, John is a person who is so uniquely set in terms of understanding history, the, the past as well as the future. Think about John getting to walk with Jesus as his apostle, as his apostle for three years. Not only that, he was the one that received the revelation that he gets to see what's yet to come. And he got to hear all that Jesus had to say about the period in between. He is like a pilot that's able to see everything. You guys know that when these pilots come in, you know, on the airport, they've got all these lights on the airport, you know? Uh, they've got these lights that are set up for a glide path. And they, as long as they've got those lights in proper perspective, they know that they're going to come in just where they're supposed to come in. There are lights that tell them where the end of the runway is and where the beginning is, where the, the edges of the runway are. Everything is laid out, and they know where they are. Well, God is a God who has given to us not only a definition of where we are, but when we are. And John got to see that. If you look at God's history, his timeline, uh, you, you know that he created the earth 
you know that he did the, the whole creation thing. He created light. He hung the stars in the heavens. He, he did all of those things so that, that it would be our enjoyment. That he created us in his image. He created us so that we might have fellowship with him. And we know what happened, right? They ate from the pear tree. And they were cursed, right? You know it's a pear, right? Everybody always assumes it's an apple. But, you know, the scripture clearly says, and I hate pears because of this, it clearly says that God cursed the pear. So I'm going with that. So, we know about the fall. We know the covenants. We got the rainbows. Uh, We understand, uh, Abraham, can you count stars? God was saying, I'm not done with you. I'm still in control. There is still this ark of salvation that God is weaving through time and through history. We've got the creation of the, of the nations. We've got Jerusalem. We've, we've got the tabernacle. We've got the temple. And we've got the prophets who are saying there's still more to come. It's not done yet. And then we have the advent, the very first advent. And, you know, John, you know, he kind of starts his gospel in a different way. He kind of paints a picture of, of who this is that is coming. But he explains, and you can see that, you know, there's the first advent, Christ coming. There's also a second advent, which he has seen, and he's also told us about. But he's also told us about the age of the church, it's just where we live. In Romans chapter 11, I don't fully understand this, and Luke didn't tell me to preach from Romans 11. He said John 1. But in Romans 11, it tells us that we are now living in the age of the Gentiles, the age of the church, that until the age of the Gentiles is fulfilled, the nation of Israel has not yet been restored. And when those things take place, the second advent will come. We're living in this time of the church. And in John's gospel, he goes to great lengths to explain who it is that has established this timeline and what he wants for us. So in John chapter 1, it's already been uh, well read for us, but it's up here on the screen for you as well. John goes back to the very beginning. He says, in the beginning, the one who has come, the one we're going to explain, the one that we're looking forward to, this is who he was. In the beginning was the word, Jesus. And the word Jesus was with God, and the word was God. This idea of God's uh, triune God, who he is. He was in the beginning with God, and all things were made through him, and without him was not anything that was made. There is a whole lot of theology right there. Well, you know, I need cliff notes, and this is basically what it says. It says that the uncreated created the created. That which cannot be created, God created. And he created all things, and all things... He has already made, he has put them in place, he has done this. And he says, in him was life, and the life was the light of men. You know, in creation, we know it says that God breathed into Adam this idea that life itself to be made in the image of God was done by God to us, and God is our life and our light, our hope, our direction, our purpose. And he says, the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. It's an uh, introduction of our, our enemy. There is something that is trying to overcome this lightness. There is something that is trying to capture it and to tone it down and to keep us from seeing that which gives us hope. 
But he says the light can never be covered up. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. And he goes on, and then he says, You know, there was a man that was sent from God whose name was John, and he came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. Do you remember that timeline piece where it talked about the prophets? It's an amazement to think about all of the prophecies that had to be fulfilled for Jesus to come. God didn't do this by surprise. God told us ahead of time that Jesus was coming. And John begins his gospel by saying, remember that God had prophesied that one would come who would be preparing you for for the Messiah to come. He goes on and he says, He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. I've often thought, wouldn't that be something? That, you know, if Jesus showed up here, you know, the saying is, the poster, I've seen it, you know, would would any of us recognize Jesus if he showed up? It didn't come in the way that we expected. It didn't come in the way that we had prescribed. When I laid out my life, I did not plan for 2018, 19, or 20. In fact, I would have written it in a different way. And all of us probably would have written things in a much different way. The Jewish people were writing history in a way that they thought it would appear, that they would be comfortable with. The Messiah would come, and he would overthrow the Romans, and we would once again be the party in power. This idea that he was going to bring us peace, But God had something greater in mind. He goes on and he said, He came to his own and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God, that were adopted as children We had two adopted children. Tanya was one of our adopted children. Matt was the other one who lives in Seattle against the advice of us with our two perfect grandchildren. I've seen some of your pictures, and mine are better. But the idea that they became our children uh, happened for us when we stood before a judge, and the judge asked us, whether or not we were going to treat them as our children. Were we going to include them in the will was one of his questions. Would we treat them equally? Would we provide for them equally? Do they have the same privileges as we do? And he says here in this text, he says God gave us the right to become children of God. This is what Christ was coming to do. And it was not because of a person's lineage. It wasn't because they were good enough. It was because it was God's will, God's desire, God's purpose, God's plan, God's time. And he goes on and he says, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as the one and only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. And John bore witness about him and cried out, there was, This was he of whom I said, He who was coming after me ranks before me because he was before me. The word 
became flesh. God provided the lamb. And it says that grace and truth came with Jesus. Grace as well as truth. We focus a lot on the grace part, don't we? But also the truth part is there. God never lowered his standards when it comes to sin. God still understands and wants us to be righteous. And God is righteous, and in him there is no darkness at all, John would later say in his, his uh, first epistle, 1 John. But it says that he came not only with truth, but with grace. And he goes on and he says, For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, grace And truth came through Jesus Christ. And no one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side. He has made him known to us. Grace upon grace. You know, when I first became a Christian, I came out of, uh, it was a good home. We were moral people. We did the right thing. My dad ran a body shop. My mom ran a ceramic shop. uh, Ulysses, Kansas. I first got to know Mennonite Brethren because of Jules. He was the pastor in Ulysses there. But, you know, the big deal was making sure that we didn't offend anybody in the community. You know, so I had to play nice with people because, you know, if, if I beat up a neighbor's son, then, you know, they might not take their car to my dad's shop. We were good people. We had to be. That's, that was what was drilled into me, to be right, to be good, you know, to have our reputation intact. But when I became a Christian... I realized that my sins had been taken away. Do you guys remember what that was like when all of a sudden you realized all of your sins had been taken away? How Remember how good that felt when all of a sudden everything was off of your shoulders? It lasted 30 minutes for me before I sinned again. I was like, you know, juggling with Grandma's China. You know, I just couldn't help myself. And what do I do with the sins that happen after I've accepted Christ. John says it's grace upon grace. The idea that when Jesus died on the cross, he covered all of our sins from the beginning of creation to the end. All sins, all sins have already been covered. You know, David in Psalm 139, he he, he thinks about this and he says, it's amazing that you know me so well. You search my heart and you know everything. But you know when I go to bed, you know when I wake up, you even know my thoughts before I even think them. And I think that's unfair, don't you? That God would understand our thoughts. Yeah? You know, 42 years ago, Esther and I stood at the altar in front of her dad, who was the uh, the pastor, he was a missionary, and he was the one. You know, you talk about pressure, you know, saying your vows in front of your future father-in-law, right? And I just thought, you know, if Esther knew everything that I was going to do, in the next 42 years that would disappoint her or discourage her or the times that we would have, you know, a falling out over something, I kept thinking, I wonder what she would do. Would she still say yes? And then you factor into it this idea that God knows everything that we even think. And yet John says in John 3, for God so loved the world, knowing everything about us knowing everything that we're going to do, knowing every thought that we've ever had, knowing every transgression that we've ever committed, knowing that he still loves us and has provided the lamb. It's grace upon grace. 
And for John, he had this opening statement that says, look what God's been doing. Look what God has already done in the coming of Jesus this Advent season. He says, this is who has come. God who created the world. God who kept his covenant promises. God who has parted the waters. God who has prophesied of his coming son. God who provided his son, who died on the cross, who was resurrected, who was dead and was resurrected, who has ascended and who has given to us the Holy Spirit that dwells within us. This is the God of which I am about to tell you in my gospel. This idea that God has been at work in history and he's still in control. When we look at our world around us, we think everything is frantic. We have nothing that is concrete anymore. Our education system really kind of got blown up, didn't it? Our relationships, our, our families, our work environment, well, some of you are on the tractor and it didn't really matter, did it? Yeah? yeah. You couldn't go to coffee as often, maybe. I don't know. But for a lot of us, everything is unstable and we're waiting uh, for things to get back to normal. Well, what if things don't go back to normal? You know, God dispersed the church through persecution. And he also brought the Mennonite brother and other denominations uh, to different places in the world through persecution. God work is, works during chaos and confusion and darkness. You know, if you look back, I'm going to give you some Mennonite brother uh, history notes. I, you know, I'm going to tell you right now that Luke's already kind of given it all away. But you remember a guy by the name of Martin Luther in 1917. There was something called the Reformation. And during the Reformation, basically, that's when the Protestant church broke away from the Catholic church. And there was good reason for us to do that. There was the priesthood of all believers, that all of us have the right to talk to, to God in person. That through Jesus Christ, we have the right to come into the throne room. We don't need a priest to talk to God about our sins. That scripture alone was what we should base our life upon, not upon what the Pope said in addition to the scripture. And that we were saved by faith alone, not by good works or belonging to the Catholic Church. That's what Martin Luther, basically, and a number of other things, there were 95 things that he nailed to the church door. But he started it. He became the one. That's, by the way, where Lutherans come from, right? Martin Luther, kind of get it, right? Yeah. Well, you know, in 1525, there was a guy by the name of Conrad Grable. And he kind of started what was known as the Radical Reformation. It was radical because they began to believe that, you know, when you're baptized, you ought to know what's going on. That there should be a believer's baptism. And he got, grabbed a guy by the name of George Blaurock and baptized him again. And all of a sudden there was persecution from the Catholics and from the Lutherans because we weren't doing things right. And a guy by the name of Minnow Simons, 1536, he began reaching out and teaching and, and explaining the things that they believed in, this, this radical Anabaptism. Anabaptism, by the way, is not against Baptist, right? Uh, it, it, it means rebaptize, or believer's baptism, some would say. And Minnow Simons became kind of the spokesman. He was also a Catholic priest. 
And he also joined that initial reformation. And so we could have been called the Simonites, I suppose, right? But that's too close to Samsonite. We didn't want to get confused with the luggage. And so the Mennonites began following. And, and you know, in 1635, they, through persecution, there was, there was a, a group of them that actually landed in the United States, uh, in Germantown, Pennsylvania. They landed with the Quakers. You know, they brought the oats with them, you know, the can of Quaker oats, right? Yeah. And that's, you know, they landed here, but they were also basically in, in Germany and, and Europe and different places. And in 1860, there was a moment when some of the Mennonites looked around and said, we're not living up to the ideals of the scriptures. And they broke away from the Mennonites, and they were mocked because they were having small groups. They were fellowshipping together. They were praying for one another. They were helping one another. And they were mocked and called the Brethren. And so the Mennonite Brethren denomination was started in 1860. Yeah? When was this church established? 1878. How about that? So there you see your history being connected. And through these immigrations that took place, the Quakers brought the oats and we brought the red wheat from Russia. Yeah. Those are our contributions. And when we came here to the United States and to Canada, they formed what was called the General Conference of Mennonite Brethren. And it, like it's already been said, that there was, there was this uh, combination of both Canada and, and uh, the United States. And then there came a moment, I think it was in, two, when was that, 1950, 1954, that the General Conference created the two national conferences. But in 1910, the Central District was formed, which was what we're part of. So all of these things kind of mixed together. Some of you kind of remember 1910, maybe, right? Anybody? No? Okay. Yeah. You know, I had a pastor friend. He was telling his grandson that he had a chance to go look at the ark, you know, the one they have there in, where is that, in Kentucky someplace? Yeah. Yeah. And his grandson said, so, Grandpa, uh, is it as big as you remember? And so, (laughs) I don't know. But anyway, so... So we formed the U.S. Conference. The U.S. Conference uh, has uh, five different um, districts. We, we have the, uh, the Pacific District, which you can see up there. Uh, then we've got the Southern District, which is Colorado and Oklahoma and Kansas and Missouri. And then we have the Latin American Conference, which is mostly Hispanic churches, well, all Hispanic churches in Texas. And then we had the North Carolina Conference, but it also had a church in Georgia, so they were a little confusing, and we helped them to get a little bit more confused. And then the Central District is where I work, and that is Montana, North Dakota, South Dakota, Iowa, Minnesota, Wisconsin, and Indiana. So that's my district. But as a U.S. conference... We asked this question. We said, so what is it that we do as a denomination? What's our purpose? How are we contributing to the things that God wants us to do? And so in 2014, we kind of refocused a little bit. And that was primarily because of some things that were taking place. But um, 
In 2000, I think it was, that the general conference actually went away. So we had the general conference, we had the U.S. and Canadian conference, and then the, U the general conference went away, and so it's just the two. So in 2000, we began asking ourselves, what do we want to be when we grow up? So the USMB came up with this slogan, which basically says it is our desire to make sure that each individual church reaches its full ministry, God-given potential. The purpose of a denomination is to make you succeed in your mission context. And I can tell you, I've got churches in Indianapolis, I've got them in Shakopee, I've got them on the reservation in Porcupine. They're all over the place, and every single church does it differently. How they reach out to their community is unique. The way God has gifted their community is unique. And that's the way God has always done it. He has always brought together communities of faith. He has always directed the gifting of the Holy Spirit so that the ministry of God could continue, which is the purpose of the church, to equip the saints so that they can impact, dare we say, infect them with the gospel of Jesus Christ. He said we need to do three things. We need to focus on multiplication, evangelism, and church planting. We need to focus on intentional discipleship. What are we teaching them to make sure that we're on, on board and that they have the materials that they want? And we want to develop leaders. My greatest fear right now is who's coming up behind us. Those of you with gray hair, you know what I'm talking about. There gets to be a point in your life when you think, who's following me and who have I equipped and who have I empowered? As Christians, we should be accepting mentorship from people who are above us. We should be mentoring with people who are around us in the same category. And we need to be reaching behind us for those who are yet to come. We need to be involved in the fulfillment of the kingdom of God. Instead of waiting for the trumpet to sound and hoping that it comes on our watch, what if it doesn't? As a grandfather, I grow really concerned for my grandkids. When I look at the world, I think, what in the world am I leaving to them, right? And I'm sorry, but Preston, man, this is a rough time to get born, right? But you know what? The same Holy Spirit that was there in creation is the same Holy Spirit that Jesus promised that he would send to be a comforter, to be a, an empowerer for us, to be a helpmate with us, to dwell within us. It is the same spirit that will also lead the next generation. So why are we worried? Our parents were worried about us, and that's how come they got gray hairs. God's still here in history. Now, in the MB world, we also have uh, international as well. So we've talked a little bit about the national. Now let's talk a little bit about the international. We have 22 countries that make up <clears throat> everything that we're doing in the world, if you will. Uh, it's called ICOM, International Community of Mennonite Brethren. There's 22 countries. And in our structure, where are we? You just jumped right ahead. We can do that. Yeah. But within our structure, we also have a national strategy team that kind of helps us to understand what's going on in our world and how we're going to respond to it. So here's what I want you to know. There's 22 countries. Now we're on to the next slide. And... We're the fifth. You know, you don't get a medal when you're fifth. You get one of those participation ribbons. So, you know, but look at who is number one. It's India. 
because of our mission work, we actually have more Mennonite brethren churches in India than we do in the United States and Canada. And look at the second one. It's Congo. And I want to talk a little bit about that one. So the Central District was directly responsible for the, the formation of the Congolese Mennonite Brethren Conference of Churches. So in 1913, there was a man by the name of Aaron uh, Jansen and his wife, Ernestine. And they lived in Mountain Lake, Minnesota. How many of you have been to Mountain Lake? Yeah? Yeah. Okay. In 1913, we have formed the Central District in 1910. And in 1913, Aaron had a vision to go to the Congo. And he landed in the Belgian Congo. And Congo, boy, I tell you, it's, it's had a lot of upheaval. But in 1913, he landed there. He was the first Mennonite brethren to go to the Congo. And from what he did there, we have the Congolese conference that has now grown through the vision of one man. 1926, there was a guy by the name of Luca that became the first convert that was baptized. And what we know about Luca was that he was evangelistic. He told 37 other people, and 37 other people joined the Mennonite Brethren Church, and effectively, that was the first, that was the church plant, if you will, in Congo. It took 13 years of labor for Aaron and Ernestine before they had that first convert. And because of the Central District and sending Aaron and Ernestine to the Congo, we now have the second largest conference of Mennonite brethren in the world because of the Central District. How about that? Yeah. But it doesn't end there because God's stories never end. Kind of like sermons. There's more that's yet to come. Four years ago, I got a phone call, much like the phone call that I get from pastors from time to time, and Hunignal Bekele, who is our Ethiopian pastor in Sioux Falls, he calls me up, and he's a part-time real estate agent. He says, Pastor Rick, there's somebody you have to meet, and his name is Claude Tamba Tamba Mika, okay? And so, if you could put that slide up, maybe you've met Claude. Uh, one more. There you go. Claude's that big, tall drink of water up there in the far right corner. Claude Tamba Tamba was from the Congo. And he has immigrated here to the United States, and he was planting a church in Sioux Falls. At the same time, he's also planted four churches, two of them in Kenya and two in Uganda. Right? And Claude needed a place, a rental hall, so that they could meet and fellowship. And so, by chance, he reached out to a real estate firm and got hold of a guy by the name of Huningna. And together we began talking about what was taking place. And the New Jerusalem Temple is the first Congolese Mennonite brother in church in the United States. I say the first because after I found out what Claude was doing back in Kenya and Uganda, I wanted to connect him with the larger group, the ICOM group. I wanted to know whether or not there was some help that could come because of our connections in Africa. And I got in touch with somebody who, by the name of Nzuzi Magawa. Okay? 
Aren't these fun names, right? Yeah. Claude Tomba Tomba Mizuzu. I like them, right? And he says to me, do you know about a guy by the name of Andre Nogalo who happens to live in Dayton, Ohio? And that's Claude, or sorry, Andre. He's up there in the referee shirt up in the top there. And Andre was the marketing director for Costco. He had been in the United States some 14 years, but he served under Nazuzi and planted churches in the Congo. And now he was in the United States, and he was connected with 30 Mennonite brethren churches on the East Coast. And I met with Andre, and I started by saying, well, let me explain to you what the Mennonite Brethren is all about. And I got about two sentences in, and he stopped me. And he says, we are Mennonite Brethren. Yeah? Cast your bread upon the water, right? Central District, St. Ernestine and Aaron. Now, the Mennonite Brethren Conference in the Congo, now we have people, because of persecution, again, being scattered and coming to the United States. And as a result of that, I started working with our NST team, said, uh, strategy team, saying I'm out of my element. There's something more that's going on here than adding one church. We have a movement that God is doing for us, amongst us, and within us. And it took us to stand up a little bit and to look over to see what God was doing. And as a result, we pulled these churches together. We brought together Multiply. We brought together MB Foundation. We brought together all of the other districts because we found out that there's Mennonite brother and Congolese in every district. And we pulled it together, and now we're working on part of the national strategy team's uh, Congolese task force. That's one of my titles, I guess. And it's overwhelming because they don't know the language. But boy, do they love Jesus. And they've got the same heritage. And it's so exciting to look and see what God is doing through history, bringing all of this back together again. And it was through persecution. Uh, Claude can tell you how many bones he's had broken in his body when he was imprisoned. But the guy speaks 14 languages. Yeah. And as you can tell, I'm not a real good master of one. But the idea that God did this. And then the question was, where do they join? If you're a Mennonite brother in church, you have to join a district. Well, we started the whole thing. So they were going to land in the central district. And my territory was going to go from Maine to Montana. How's that for a slogan? We could sell t-shirts, right? That's too much. So we blew up the North Carolina conference. It's no longer the North Carolina conference. It's the Eastern conference. And now we're going to have Mennonite Brethren churches from Portland, Maine, all the way down into Georgia, Kentucky, and Tennessee. And it's because God has always been about moving people and working in history. So, as far as the Mennonite brother in the central district, we, we are involved with all of these things, but, but we are working at evangelism as well. We've got other church plants. We've got four right now that we're working with. We've got one in Rapid City called Renewal. We've got one in Owatonna, Minnesota that's called Redemption. 
Then we've got New Jerusalem. We've got Grace International Church, which is an Ethiopian church in Indianapolis. Do you know what? They rent out their parking lot for the races. That's how close they are to this racetrack, right? Yeah. They make $2,000 a day in parking. How about that? Yeah. Yeah. How do you guys do on your bake sales, right? Yeah. We also have discipleship. We're working hard to help our churches and our pastors continue forward. We've got some churches that we've been supporting so that they can make it. Uh, Faith Bible Church was down to 18 people in the center of downtown Omaha. And we've been able to come alongside of the pastor there in the church and give them the support that they need to continue to survive. Christ Community Church, Agua Viva at Omaha, Ethiopian Christian Fellowship in Sioux Falls, and Lakota Gospel in Porcupine. In terms of leadership development, we're not doing as well as we want to. We, we do have a seminary scholarship for those that want to go on to seminary. Uh, we try to put on a pastor's retreat to support our pastors. Uh, we also have something called the National's Pastor's Orientation, but what we really want and what we really need is an intern program. I'm going to challenge you. I would like to see every church in the Central District have an intern come and serve at some point just to follow around and to encourage and to see what the work has entailed and for them to also teach us. You know, one of the things that's really, really kind of cool, uh, I was in uh, Christ Community, not, no, sorry, New Jerusalem Temple in Sioux Falls. And they're up on stage and, and he's preaching in Swahili and their kids are sitting in the back row on their iPhones, right? They have gone from the refugee camp where there's no electricity, no running water, and the meals are scarce, to coming to the United States with their children. Their children are now in the American uh, education system. They speak English more than they can speak Swahili. And they're miles ahead of their parents when it comes to technology. And they're teaching their parents about YouTube. I don't know if it's a good thing, but there you go. The younger generation is helping the older generation. Because, see, our souls are ageless. There's not a teenage soul. There's just souls. And we know that we work with each other. We're all part of the body of Christ. So there you've had kind of the macro. John starts with, can you imagine what's happening in the world? We've talked about church history. We've talked about MB church history. But I also want you to know about your history. You know, David, again, in Psalm 139, by the way, that's what I want on my tombstone. It might have to be on two sides. I don't know. But basically he says, God ordained my days. Our children are here because God ordained for them to be here. You are here because God ordained for you to be here. In this time, in the year of 2020. And what we are required to do as nothing more than to walk with Jesus through the darkness, knowing that he is beside us and that he is light. 1 John 1, 5-7 is what I'm going to leave us with. It says, this is the message we have heard from him and we proclaim to you, that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. The darkness will never overwhelm. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and we do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. 
And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Jesus says, I will never leave you nor abandon you. I will always be with you from this generation to the next, from the beginning to the end. I am the Alpha, I am the Omega, I am the one that holds all of history, and I am the one that has ordained the stars to be hung in the heavens, and I am the one that has ordained your birth. And I have placed within you the Holy Spirit so that you will not get off course, that you will not get off path. And all that's required of us is to stay in the light, to know that God is in control, that he is the light, and that even though we may have a bad year, black-eyed peas have not the power that we have through Jesus Christ, who guarantees that where we are, he will be as well. Can we trust God? Absolutely. John had a unique perspective. He saw the beginning, he saw the current, and he saw the future. And he says there will come a day when we will stand with him and we will see him face to face. But until that day, may we be the church that changes history, that knows that God is in control, and that nothing has surprised him, and he's not in a panic. And the church may not look the same, but he's worked through chaos before, and he'll continue. So let me pray for you, and the worship team will come and wrap this up so that we can have supper. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, today I just thank you for the days that you have given to us. Lord, we don't want to waste a single one of them. We're not waiting for the perfect day for us to sow our crop. We're not going to wait for the perfect day when everything is just as it should be, as in our minds. We're going to live each day in expectation that you are going to be the light, that you are going to guide, that you are going to direct. Lord, for our small part of the world, for the central district and our, our rich heritage and being able to track it back through history and time, knowing that there were brave people like Martin Luther and, and Menno Simons and Conrad Grable, as well as those that have gone before us. Lord, knowing that you have worked through the church and you will continue. Our prayer, Father, is that our eyes would be open, that we would see as you see, that we would walk where you would have us to walk. And what breaks your heart would break our heart. Until the fulfillment of the days are complete, until the trumpet sounds, may you find us faithful in Jesus Christ. Amen.
Thanks so much for listening to this week's sermon. We hope you were enriched and encouraged. If you have any questions about Christ or church or would like more information, visit our website at livinghopehenderson.com or email me directly at luke at livinghopehenderson.com. We hope you have a fantastic week. Take care and God bless.